How y'all doing? Oh, man, one person's really good. I think you're faking it. No, I'm just kidding. Hope you're, uh, hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, last week, um, Pastor Scott started a series called Still the One, talking about um, kind of family relationships, family dynamics. And um, last week, he talked about um, marriage specifically. And um, this morning, I want to talk about um, how to instill the right things into your family. Now, I say that because I want you to know up front that, number one, I don't have it figured out um, because I'm not old enough to have it figured out. Um, I don't have it figured out. um, But what I do know is I know that Scripture specifically speaks to parents. Um, And what I also want you to know is I, I don't want you to shut me out. Like, if you don't have young kids or maybe you're not married, don't shut me out this morning because I think there's going to be something in here that's still going to apply to your, to your life. So don't, don't leave. Don't just get out your phone and start playing Angry Birds or anything like that because I think there's, do people still play Angry Birds? Whatever, whatever they play now. Um, because I think there's going to be something that you're going to find valuable over the next um, few moments of time. How many of you have any family traditions? Anybody? Family traditions, maybe they're around Christmas, Thanksgiving, usually it's around, um, usually it's around a holiday. Um, I don't have a ton of those. Um, my family's young, so we don't have a, a ton of those traditions, rather than spending some time with some people that, that we love. Um, but I looked up some crazy family traditions, okay? I Googled these, so we know they're, number one, they're accurate. And number two, um, we know that someone really intelligent posted them, Okay. So one of, the, uh, one of the family traditions that I read about was a family that um, for several generations had always put an uncooked, uncut potato in their backpack the day before a test, right? I have n- no idea. I, why, where does that even start? Like, I would love to hear the origin of that story. Um, there was um, a lady uh, in California, which explains it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> There's a lady in California that puts a cow puppet on top of her Christmas tree every year. A cow puppet, yeah. I don't, I don't know either, Elaine. I don't know. Um, a cow puppet. Um, another family tradition, uh, one family that goes to the graveside of a family member every Christmas Eve and pours their favorite drink on the graveside. Cheers. Well, by the way, if this ever happens to me, can y'all make sure that I get Diet Mountain Dew? I just want to say it in front of everybody, Okay. Diet Mountain Dew would, would be my choice. I don't understand where, where that one comes from either. Um, what about a family that every July 4th, they uh, all buy a gallon of ice cream, and they see who can eat it the fastest, and the winner gets $5? I'm thinking you're going to spend more than $5 in plumbing costs after you get done eating all that ice cream. You, you get the direction I'm going? And can you imagine the brain freeze? Like, I like ice cream. But usually when you buy it by the gallon, it's, it, it's just like vanilla or chocolate. And how many of you can testify this morning that when you eat ice cream, you need something crunchy in it. You need some nuts. You need some chocolate chips, some chunks, some brownies, some something. Amen? Exactly. Some of you, that is as passionate as you'll get all morning. Or what about the family that takes turns slapping the Thanksgiving turkey before it goes into the oven? Can y'all imagine? Hey, y'all. Y'all get in here. Granny's about to put the, 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 the turkey in the oven. Y'all come on in here. We got to slap it. Can you imagine that Instagram story? 
family traditions, no matter how normal they seem, no matter how odd they seem, the reason things become traditions is because someone does it over and over and over and over again, right? There's an action or an attitude or something that is repeated over a long period of time, and that is what makes a tradition. Now, I I still have a young family, and I'm young, but one of the things that I have learned from some people that have kind of mentored me along the way, some people that I've allowed them to invest in me, which, by the way, this is a side note, even if you don't have a family, you should have those people in your life, like those people who are older and smarter than you. If you are the smartest person that you know, there's a problem. But one of the things that I have learned through um, some people that have kind of guided me over my life and taught me is that I need to be intentional with the traditions, with the things that I instill into my family. I think so many people today, when it comes to just their life, aren't intentional. And I also think that a lot of families aren't intentional with where they're trying to take their family. The um, productive guru, or the business expert, Franklin Covey, said years ago that anything you do begin with the end in mind, right? And so if I have this goal, no matter what I'm doing in life, if I have this goal to, to dig a hole, to construct something, If I have this goal, I need to begin with the end in mind. So what do I want to see? When it comes to our family, who do you want your kids to be 20 years from now? When it it, it comes to your family, how many kids do you want to have? When it comes to your family, who do you want your grandkids to be? What environment do you want them to grow up in? When it comes to your family, what kind of husband or wife do you want to be? I think a lot of families today are just playing survive. And let's be real, parents, Especially if you have multiple kids, sometimes surviving is all you got, right? Sometimes you're just trying to make it to the weekend. Sometimes there is no possible way you can hear the word mommy or daddy again today. If you do, your head will explode. Sometimes you can only clean so much applesauce off of the wall. Sometimes you can only smell your middle schooler for so long. Am I right? Sometimes sometimes being a part of a family is about survival But if we are going to be people that raise families with the right ideology and the right traditions, we have to be intentional about it, and we have to begin with the end in mind. Who do you want to be? Who do you want your family to be down the road? As parents, you set the thermostat in your house. How many of you, some of your biggest arguments with either your your roommate or your spouse have been over the thermostat temperature? Anybody? Anybody? For like the first year of our marriage, because I get hot, Melissa gets cold. So for like the first year of our marriage, I would adjust the thermostat, and she would go back and turn it back up, almost like she thought I wouldn't notice. But, but, but as parents, we get to set the thermostat in our house. Dad, if you always come home hot, set the temperature in your house to be hot. If you're always argumentative with your kids... You're going to set that temperature in your house. If things are always tense, if things are always on edge, if there's this sense of complaining in the house, parents, you set the thermostat. But those are not the traditions we want to pass on. But as parents, we get the opportunity, even now, no matter where you are in your parenting life, whether your kids are grown and out of the house, you can still put the right family traditions inside of your kids. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Family tradition. If you have your notebook, or if you have a, a, a phone, you can type in. That's the title of my message today, Family Tradition. 
Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 5. If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. You can grab your phone, get, get your Bible app out, whatever it is. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. But I just want to set up um, Ephesians 5 this way. Um, Ephesians 5 is kind of a, a teaching. Paul, the author of Ephesians, goes into this whole thing on family relationships. Now, if you haven't been in church a lot, Paul um, was a guy who uh, didn't follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, he wasn't just not following Jesus, but he was determined to kill people that followed Jesus. And so literally, if you go back, it's Acts 9, I believe. Paul, literally, he's on his way to kill Christians when, bam, God gets a hold of him. God knocks him off his horse, literally, and everything in his life changes in a moment. For some of you, that's your story, isn't it? Like you were doing something that you thought you knew was, was, was the right thing to do, or you thought going on your own way was going to be the answer, but no, Jesus gets your attention, and it changes everything you do. It changes how you operate on a day-to-day basis. That's what happened to Paul. And so he goes from being on a road to kill more Christians to surrendering his life to Christ and surrendering to plant or start churches all along the Mediterranean Sea. And what would happen was he would go and he would start a church in a place, and then he would have to leave there to go start another one. And so he would keep up with them through the contact page on their website, Facebook, and email. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. He didn't do anything. But, like, do they have that there? No. I know, it is sad. But he would... He would leave them, and so he would have to write these letters back. Sometimes they were letters of encouragement. Sometimes it was further instruction. And so he would write these letters to the churches. That's how we get, like, Ephesians or Galatians or 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. These are letters that Paul is writing back. In the instance of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, which is Ephesians. He's writing to the church at Ephesus to remind them to hold on to what they really believe. Some of you this morning, I need to remind you to hold on to what you really believe. You are, you are believing some lies. You are understanding some things that aren't true. As a matter of fact, you are about to take a step out of the thing that you know is right. You're about to deny the very thing you have built the foundation of your life on because things haven't been going right. My encouragement to you would be don't do that. Remember why you believed in the first place. And so Paul writes this letter of Ephesians, and it's important to note that as we get into this section of Ephesians that I'm about to talk about, that Paul understood that children would be present when this letter was read. He understood that they would read it in a large gathering like this, and that children would be present. By the way, that's why we believe it's important that you attend church with your family. Those are the right traditions to set up. That's why we have environments for kids that are specifically tailored to them. That's why we think it's important that you bring them. And Paul knew that they would be present when this letter was read. That'll make more sense later. So this morning, I want to give you three words that I believe can help you build the right family traditions into your life, all based off of Ephesians 5 and 6. None of this is me. This is all Ephesians 5 and 6. The first one, priorities. Priorities. Let's pick up in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Paul starts in on this whole relationship thing. He says, and further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he begins talking about the marriage relationship. If we skip down to where he concludes this section, he says in verse 33, So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, if you've read this passage of Scripture before, or if you've been in church a long time, you know that the part that comes between those two verses I just read 
or wives submit to your husbands, right? And all the husbands, I'm just kidding, don't do it. But between those verses are those, is that scripture, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, you've thought that even if you haven't said that out loud, I bet you. Especially if you know the verse. Wives submit to your husbands. But the verses between that also say, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. In other words, what he is saying is he's saying, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands be willing to die for your wife. And so what Paul is trying to set up here is he's not trying to set up a dogmatic husband, wives, do what your husbands say. Y'all better get this right. Y'all better get this together. He's not trying to set up this dogmatic principle. What he's trying to say is he's trying to say there's mutual submission. Husbands, wives, your priorities when you get married are no longer yourself. Your priorities are each other. And so Paul goes through this list to say, hey, You've got to get your priority right. If your priority husband is your wife, if your priority wife is your husband, then this works itself out. Paul is saying get your priorities in line. Husbands, most of the time, you should concede to your wife. Because Jesus gives us things we want, right? Where do you want to go eat? What do you want to do today? Husbands, most of the time, you should concede to your wife. Paul isn't saying, no, you get to dictate the day. What he's saying is he's saying, sometimes there's going to be a tie one-to-one. But husbands, watch yourself the decision you make. Because you got a high standard to live up to. Husbands, wives, your priority must be each other. I know, I know the temptation. I know the temptation is to make it about your kids because you feel like you're doing good, right? You feel like, I only have 18 years with these kids. I have to make them my priority. But what Paul is saying is he's saying, if you get that wrong, if you mix up your priority and you get what's second and you put it what's first, it's going to throw the whole thing out of whack. Husbands, wives, your priority must be each other. But it can be difficult. There's so many things that compete for our time. Good things, like work. Like, for some of you, the, the battle you play in your mind all the time is, in order to be a good mom or dad, I have to provide for my child. But yet, I'm supposed to be there for my child as well. So, do I take these extra hours? Do I take this job that's going to require me to travel more? Or do I sit at home with my, my family? That's a real dilemma, and I wouldn't tell you which one to make, but it competes. It, com- it competes for your attention with your, with your spouse. Um, Parents, a lot of times, your children are what takes your priority away from each other, right? Occasionally, I'll get a couple that, that, that's struggling in their marriage, and they'll say, we're going to have kids. We think that'll help. <laughs> what ends up happening, your priority is no longer each other because you can't yell, you can't, you can't say what you want to to your kids, so you say it to your spouse, and then it throws the whole thing out of whack. Parents... Married couples, your priority must be yourself. Even if you don't have kids, take time to work on yourselves. That relationship has to be right. Because what will happen is if you make the priority your kids, or if you make the priority your work, or your kids' activities, or your kids' sports, if you make that, that their pro- your priority, when they leave the house, you're going to have nothing to base a relationship on. And then you're going to be lost because you've sank the, whole, the last 16, 18 years into these kids, and now they're gone, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Your priority must be 
each other. The second word, structure. Very next verse, new chapter, Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents. Parents, amen. You belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. This not only means that children have the responsibility to obey, but parents have the responsibility to teach their children. Did you catch the difference? As, parent, as a parent, I don't just have the responsibility to make my child obey, but I have the responsibility to teach my child the right thing to do, to un- make, help them understand there is a structure in life, that things are structured, and that they have to go by this structure. I have to teach them the why behind what I'm doing. So many parents, I think, mess this up. But they, the truth is, is you can only manage your child for so long, right? Like, if you're a, if you're a boss... At work, maybe you have some people working with you or, or, or for you. You can only manage them for so long before it drives you nuts, right? You can only ask them so many times to do the same weekly task over and over to check on this, to check on that before it drives you nuts. As parents, we can only manage our kids for so long. You can say only so many times, go take a bath. You can only say so many times, go eat some lunch, or don't stick your finger there, right? <laughs> you can only manage your kids for so long. Eventually, they have to understand that there's a structure in this world, and you have to teach them how to make good decisions. If we're going to pass down the right family traditions, we have, to, we have to teach them to do it ourselves. But sometimes it's easier just to let it slide, right? Or to just holler. Or to just say, they don't have to do it this time. What's it going to hurt one time, right? When we first started teaching Riley to eat by himself, the first meal that we did that with was spaghetti. Some of y'all know where this is at. Hey, we were rookies. And so the first time that we set him down with a plate of spaghetti, of course, we, we, we cut it up good, and he began to try to eat this spaghetti, more like fling this spaghetti. We weren't using a fork at this time. I think we gave him one, but he kind of threw it down early, and so he begins to try to, to try to eat this spaghetti. Now, we had taken precautions. We had him in bad clothes. We had on a tile floor, had it on a tile floor where we could clean it up easy, but it was a total mess. Everything within a three-foot circumference of him was covered in spaghetti sauce. It literally took us two baths to get it off his face. But here's the thing, if we wouldn't have never allowed him to, to, to get messy and tried to teach him how to do something on his own, even though it was hard for us, we would still be feeding him. Parents are, have to teach their children to make the right decisions on their own. We have to teach structure because God teaches structure. Paul continues in verse 2, honor your father and your mother. Parents again. Honor your father and your mother. Parents, woo Okay. Just wait, though. Okay. Paul is about to burst your bubble. This is the first commandment, not too bad, with a promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Honor your father and your mother. So honor is the child's ultimate job, not just obedience. Did you catch that? 
honor as believers in God, as people who have accepted Christ, honor is our first responsibility to God even before obedience. What's the difference? It's about an attitude. Obedience is an action. Honor is an attitude. Obedience is the what. Honor is the why. But so often in society today, we don't like to teach honor. Because we like to have our rights. We like to to know what we want. But we don't like to teach honor. But the thing about honor is it's not taught, it's caught. Do you know how some things in life, like, you can try to explain to somebody how to do it? But really the only way to actually explain to them how to do it is to to do it. Honor is kind of like that. It's not taught, it's caught. And I would believe and I would be tempted to say that one of the reasons we don't live in an honoring society now is because uh, us as parents or parents in our past have failed to teach honor through displaying it. And then we wonder why our kids don't get it, but yet we treat their teacher like that. We wonder why our kids don't get it, yet we talk about our boss like that. We wonder why they don't understand structure, yet we talk about our government officials like that. Honor isn't just an action, it's an attitude. And honor is what keeps structure. So as Paul continues, the third word, intentionality. Intentionality. Goes on to say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is something that Pastor Scott has told me multiple times in the couple of years that, that, I, that I've been here. Is, Jonathan, you can't just tell your kids the rule. They need to know the why behind the rule. They need to know it's intentional. They need to know there's some, there's some intentionality. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. In other words, don't just shout rules at them, but explain to them. Now, it's important that, that I tell you that Paul is writing to an audience here in Ephesians that lives in a culture that suppresses children and women. And so Paul is writing to a culture that basically treats children like they're not children, and he is saying, don't anger your children. Don't treat them like that. Isn't that ultimately the story of Jesus? To say everyone is created equal. Everyone is special. I created you the way I created you. I created you the the way I want to see you. I created you with a purpose. Don't mistreat people because of something that God has put in them. Paul is saying, don't anger your children and pretend like they're not people. Because they are. Be intentional. Explain the why behind the rule. One commentator says it like this. Parents certainly have the opportunity to provoke their children to wrath through an unkind, overcritical attitude that torments the child instead of training them. I think we've all seen that, haven't we? A couple weeks ago, on a Sunday afternoon, um, we took Riley to the to the park. It was a nice day, and um, I had just gone to the restroom. I was walking out of the restroom, and he and Melissa were by this big play structure, really huge thing, and I walked out, and about the time that I got out there, because I thought at first this lady was yelling at Riley, and when somebody else that you don't know yells at your kids, 
its own like Donkey Kong, right? But she wasn't yelling at Riley, but she had one of her kids standing beside her, and she had a, there was another kid on top of the play structure, and apparently the kid beside her said that the other child pushed him or something. But as I walk up on this, this lady is literally standing at the bottom of this play structure, pointing and yelling and berating the child up top and calling the child names. Rather than, I understand there's an issue, but rather than asking, making the child come down, going to the bathroom, something, talking to her, she's literally like berating this child and starts calling the, the, the child names and starts telling him that, that, that he never understands, that he's never going to get it, that he's, and then uses some other colorful words. We've all seen that, right? But what Paul is saying is he's saying, don't do that. You've got to be intentional with it. And by the way, this goes for, for everyone, but especially for parents, be careful how you speak about your kids. For, for everyone in the room, be careful how you speak about the things that matter to you. Be careful how you speak about your spouse. Be careful how you speak about your kids, your, your, your parents, your grandparents. Be careful how you speak about that doctor's report because your words are important and your words have power. And if you constantly tell your child how ignorant they are and how they're never going to get it and how they're never going to do anything, what do you expect them to believe? It's important. The words that we say, Paul is saying... Don't do that. Tell them the why behind the rule. You want to know the why behind the rule, right? Like, if I see a speed limit sign that says it's 35, and I don't see a curve in sight, and this traffic rarely gets any roads, I'm thinking, what in the world? Why are they telling me I can go only 35 as I'm going 55, right? And this is, this is, this is a rule that I want to know the why behind. Why in the world is there a no turn on red stoplight at Target? Anybody feel my pain? Has it, just confession time. Has anybody turned right on red? Has anybody been pulled over for turning right on red? Oh, I'm never stopping again. None of y'all been pulled over. I've never been pulled over. But we want to know the why behind the rule because... Just because they're kids doesn't mean that we don't teach them the intentionality and the principle behind things. Paul says, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Those, that word, um, bring them up, can be translated, let them be fondly cherished. Let them be fondly Cherish. What does it mean to finally cherish your child? I think it depends on the child. It depends on the situation. But it means you consider their feelings. It means you do discipline them because a good parent does. It means you teach them the intention behind the rule. It means you make hard decisions based on your love for them. It means you teach them structure that they can base their lives on. And it means we keep, the, keep our word to our children, right? It can be really easy to say something and then let it go because they're children and not keep your word. Bring them up. Let them be fondly cherished. Parents, that is your ultimate job. Let them be fondly cherished. I heard a, a story about a dad in the earthquake in 1988 on the northeast section of Armenia. This earthquake killed 25,000 people. 
So this dad um, was at home at the time, and his child, his son, was at school. So when the earthquake came in, of course, this father wanted to go check on his son. And so the father gets to his son's school to see that it's been completely leveled. No sign of life, no sign of any standing walls at all. But the father, as one last hope, began to go to the, went to the place where he thought his son's schoolroom, classroom would be, and he begins to dig through this rubble as fast as he can. Now, you can imagine, like, if you have, like, parts of building, there's, there's bricks, there's blocks. You can imagine how tiring that is. And so for the first few minutes, he, he, he has a lot of energy, and then he, people begin to come in and, that are parents of other kids, and they begin to tell him, just, just face it. He's gone. We all have to face it. <laughs> the dad's like, no, I'm not giving up. And so he continues to dig through this, through this rubble for 12 hours. Still no signs of life, no signs of anyone trying to help him. Still people, nobody has volunteered to help him. Only people have told him to stop. And he, t- he tells every single person, he says, no, I promised my son Armand that I would always cherish him that I would always be there for him, and I'm not letting this earthquake stop me. And so the dad continues to, 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 to go through the rubble. 24 hours pass, 36 hours pass, and you can imagine how, how the strength is zapping out of this dad, sweat pouring off of him, looking like he has literally been through a fire. But yet, the dad continues to, to dig. Hour 38. The dad is digging. I can imagine his pace is getting slower at this point. Hour 38, he hears a voice. Armand, that's his son's name. Armand, is is that you? And a few seconds later, he hears, Dad. Dad, and of course, you can imagine the dad at this point, like he's, he, he's going as fast as he can. He gets a second win. It's like picking a car up off your kid. He gets a second win. He starts throwing rubble to the side, and finally he sees Armand. And Armand looks at him and says, Dad, Dad, I told these other kids that you would be here because you promised to always cherish me and never leave me. As it turns out, when the rubble fell and made this tent-like bubble, for our men, 13 of his classmates. That is what it means to finally cherish your child, to not give up on them, to love them even when it's easier not to, to keep being a good dad or being a good mom even when people are telling you you're not and even when you're worn slap out and you don't have another burst of energy. What it means to fondly cherish your child is to teach them structure and love them, punish them absolutely, but love them. That is what it means to fondly cherish your child. The story of Armand and his dad is a lot like the gospel story, isn't it? It's a lot like what Jesus did for us. He didn't make the mess, but he was willing to clean it up. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the ultimate Father's love, to God's love on your life. See, Jesus came to clean up a mess that he didn't make. We've all sinned, we've all messed up, we've all made those mistakes, and we're all 
have this void inside of us that only God can fix. And so us and God are separated by those mistakes and by that void. And Jesus said, I've got a plan. I'm going to dig through the rubble. I'm going to meet them. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to die. I'm going to physically resurrect from the dead so that they can experience life, so that they can know what it means to be fondly cherished. He did that for you. So this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, just in your heart or you can pray it out loud, say, Jesus, I know that I've messed things up. I've been trying to do it by myself, but I can't. So I ask you to come into my life. don't know how it all works, but I'm going to find out. My life is no longer my own. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you, um, maybe you have a family. Maybe it's just you. Maybe you're dating. Um, on your way out this morning, uh, we're going to have greeters going to be standing at the doors with these cards. And what these are is this is six prayers for you to pray over your family for at least the next week. Even if you're not a believer in Christ, I want to encourage you just to try this. What is it going to hurt? For the next week, pray these six prayers. And this is, this, this, this is what they are. The F is pray that you'll follow Jesus, that we will trust Jesus above all else. We will trust Jesus even when it looks bleak, even when it looks hopeless, even when it doesn't seem to be working. We will trust Jesus. God, give us the strength to trust Jesus with our family. Appreciation. We will love and show appreciation for each other. It's really easy to get used to the people you live with and fail to appreciate them. How can you ask God, how can I tangibly show my kids that I love them? How can I show my spouse? How can I show my neighbor? How can I show someone that I appreciate them? Marriage, our marriage is our top priority. Pray that. Ask God to help you make it. If it's not right now, ask him to help you make it. Ask him to show you the steps you need to take. Intentionality. We will be intentional with our time and our resources. In other words, we're going to begin with the end in mind. We're going to be intentional. We're going to think through things. Sometimes survival mode, oh yeah. But we're going to be intentional most of the time. Loyalty. We will be loyal to each other. Even when we're not getting along, even when that person isn't there, and especially to other people, we will be loyal to each other. And yield. We will yield to the Spirit's leading. When God says, don't, I've had all I can take, and I'm at my wit's end because he just did that again. He knows not to do that. I'm going to yield to the Spirit's lead. When my spouse has done something, and you want to think they did it on purpose, but you know then, you know they wouldn't do that. I'm going to yield to the Spirit's lead, and I'm going to have that check that says, no, that wasn't on purpose. So take one of those on your way out. Obviously, they spell the word family. The six prayers that you can pray over your family this week. Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Lord, under the sound of my voice this morning, I really believe there's some families out there that are doing a really good job, but they don't feel like it. God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. God, I pray that you would encourage them. God, for all of us, Lord, we're not going to be perfect at this, God, but thank you that you give us the example, that you are the example of what a good parent is you're the example of what right relationship looks like. God, help for us to set the right family traditions because we have the right goals, because we have the right attitudes, and because we teach the right things. Lord, thank you for who you are. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.